Morgan. I'm Isabel. And this is Bowmance. A podcast about romance novels. About retelling ancient tales. About big old misogyny. About the kind of murder you would be willing to forgive. About swords. Double swords. About Stockholm Syndrome. About silks. About there only being one other woman in your life. (laughs) Most of all. It's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ears. Ourselves. This week... We're doing Renee Adier, The Wrath and the Dawn. She came for revenge. Will she stay for love? All right. Let's get in on the back of the book as read by Morgan. Khalid, the 18-year-old caliph of Khorasan, mm-hmm. is a monster. Each night he takes a new wife, only to have her killed by sunrise. Shahrazad is the first volunteer to become Khalid's bride. She vows to stop his reign of terror for the friends she lost and for all those who perished before her. Incredibly, Shahrazad manages to survive her first morning, then the next. What, what, what? Night after night, she mesmerizes the caliph with her storytelling, at once buying time and digging deeper into the elusive boy king's past. If Khalid is truly the murderous madman everyone says he is, how does Shahrazad find it so easy to fall for him? Yikes. I'm sorry it took me so long and that I'm not super confident in those pronunciations. I think it's important to pronounce things correctly. It's not some goofy thing, some make-em-ups, something that you can be like, well, I've always said it that way. People have names. (laughs) People have names, and we have to pronounce them the way that they are to be pronounced. pronounced. Yeah, how they want them pronounced. So... Khalid mm-hmm. is a name that I grew up pronouncing Khalid. Yes, because there are people named Khalid. Yes. But in the Arab world, that K sound doesn't make the same sound. So yeah. it's Khalid. And it's actually not a hard sound for us to make. Right. Speaking Thai is difficult because it has sounds that English doesn't have. But mm-hmm. like there are words that prove that it's not hard. Like nothing's that hard. Exactly. You should tr- just try. Yes. Because it matters. It does. Okay. So I did my best. and You did great. If you have notes, I'll take those notes on board and I'll try harder next time. That's great. I think it's also like one of those moments too where it's like one of the people that we'll encounter later and talk about. Oh, I just want to say me not being able to pronounce the name right is about me and not about a deficiency with the name. Yes. But also like there is a (laughs) cross-Atlantic move here where it's like I have students named Tariq, but the way that this book was pronounced in the sample that I heard, her friend's name is Tariq. Yeah. And so like... How did we get there? How did we get there? (laughs) Globalization did a number on a lot of things. Yeah. But just like use the word that people give you. Use the name that people give you. Yes. As a person with a name that people say is hard to pronounce, Isabeau. (laughs) I can't imagine what it would be like having a specific consonant sound. Yes. Okay. Anyways. Anyway, we are reading this book because I, Isabel, found it on Webtoons, which we've talked about. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I love the idea of A Thousand and One Nights. I taught it for a class. It was very exciting. There's a lot to do with a female savior character. I really loved it. And then when I saw it on Webtoon, I was super fucking stoked. And the Webtoon's very good. And then 
I discovered that it's not actually a webtoon, that it started as this YA romance. So then I was like, hey, I should read this and we should talk about it. Something getting adapted from a book into a webtoon really speaks to the reach and power of webtoon. Yes. Also, I was going to ask you, do you spend coins on Lore Olympus? I do spend coins on Lore Olympus. Do I spend coins on Wrath and the Dawn? No. Oh, that's actually really insightful. I was just going to ask if I could read your Lore Olympus. Oh, yeah, you can totally catch up. A lot has happened. I don't know where you are in the free stuff, but I'm like four ahead or something. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Dope. So... Where do we want to start? Let's start with the tale that you might be familiar with. A Thousand and One Nights, wherein a king or a caliph has decided that all women are unfaithful because in the original tale... Is it caliph because it's caliphate? They were pronouncing it the caliph and she's the caliphah. Okay. And so in the original tale, the caliph comes home. His first wife is not only having sex with someone else, she's having a full-on orgy with the royal guard. There is sex on sex on sex. And like, it's all of her handmaidens. It's his entire royal guard. He's just come back from fighting the wars. And he decides that all women are unfaithful whores. So he not only kills his wife and all of her handmaidens, and also then castrates everyone in the royal guard and kills them. This is a thousand and one Arabian night. This, this is, is not yeah, The Wrath and the no, Dawn. This is A Thousand One Arabian Nights, of which The Wrath and the Dawn is an interpretation. And so then he, the caliph, decides that all women are unfaithful, so he's just going to kill women every night. He's going to have sex with them, and then he's going to kill them at dawn. And he's going to do this for as long as he wants to. And then Shahrazad shows up, volunteers, first woman to volunteer, and they consummate their marriage, and he's like, all right, I'm going to kill you at dawn. She's like, well, all right, since you're going to kill me anyway, can I tell you a story? And he's like, sure, whatever, do that. And she tells him a story and she doesn't finish it by dawn. And then he's like, all right, all right. I want to hear the run in the story. So uh, I'll see you tomorrow night. And she's like, great, great, great. And she continues to do this for A Thousand and One Nights. And in the original tales, there's somewhere between 85 and 90 tales. What happens after A Thousand and One Nights? He falls in love with her by like tale 45, which is like, I don't know, more than 100 nights in. Because what's so funny about the original is that you get the joy of tricking a tyrant. And like Shahrazad is this incredibly clever, incredibly manipulative, incredibly brave woman who uses not only the coin of the realm, her beauty, but also this incredibly detailed mind to tell these beautiful morality tales, but also these like really funny, dirty jokes. And like, it's so fun to watch her bamboozle this asshole. And then through the story, he never ceases to be an asshole, but like she tempers that, you know, she like soothes the beast or whatever. But like one of the joys of the original is that she's getting one over on him, which was one of the deficits, I thought, of this retelling. So to talk about what's different, we do spoilers on this show. We do. The story of the murder actually happens to our hero's mother, mother, who is just having sex with one of the guards, so he's illegitimate. This causes larger issues for him. That's why she's murdered. His father still says he trusts no women, but whatever. He ends up ascending to the throne because his older brother is killed in war. He marries a girl. He's very young. He doesn't realize her deep unhappiness. They lose a baby and she kills herself so then her father curses him that he'll have to kill a hundred women at dawn for the life he took by not being a good husband yeah and if he doesn't do this he'll lose first his sleep then his city and then his entire kingdom 
and then his entire kingdom. So when he stops killing people, he stops sleeping. He loses the ability to sleep. And then eventually the rains stop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how it works. It's a real plagues of Egypt moment. Yeah. So our heroine, Shaharazad, she volunteers because she wants to murder him because no one understands the larger context because he's kept it a secret. Right. Reasons unknown. Welcome to a romance novel <laughs> where we're told people make bad choices because they're quote unquote brooding and that this brooding should also make us damp. Yep. <laughs> And it does. I mean, you know, brooding guy, that's interesting. Super interesting. That feels like a challenge. Big challenge. And we're given so few challenges. We're mostly not allowed to run Fortune 500 companies. True. We're mostly not allowed to use the advanced degrees that we all have at a greater rate than men. We're allowed to run nonprofits, but not sit on their executive boards. Yeah. So, like, I totally get why a brooding guy is interesting. (laughs) That feels like a challenge to enhance your life. It's like those women who get married and stop working and it's like oh my god please just get a regular job I don't want to help you with this charity ball anymore like it's too much you have too much energy to give this project to the point where you're destroying it Mm -hmm. it's a real Emma situation it is a real Emma situation and I get why brooding guys are interesting it's not just because they're a mystery it is because of larger socio-political things going on with the oppression of our ability to use our intellectual talents to something more interesting and worthwhile than breaking down an angry boy right which is why I think making an angry boy like us right which is why I think Shaharazad is so interesting to me in so many particular ways when I was first introduced to her a long time ago she was compared to an Esther because she's a savior Mm. of a people. But really, she's not a savior of a people. She's a savior of a sex, right? Mm. She shows up and she's 100% volunteering herself so girls stop dying. Yeah. And I think, like, that's actually a pretty important distinction to draw. Yeah. Also, the fact that they always contextualize it as you are killing our daughters Mm -hmm. instead of just... You're killing women. You're killing people. Yeah. Specifically women. That's weird. Maybe you should stop. Yeah. It's, they're killing our daughters. Yeah, our treasures. Uh, which reminds me of men who are like, now that I have a daughter, everything's different. Like, I'm a feminist now. Oh, wow. Did you just discover we're human beings? <laughs> cool. Cool, 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 cool. Great. Thanks for letting me know you were terrible this whole time. <laughs> no, the daughter has changed you. Yeah, it's like that. Which is weird to read for a book that was published so recently. Especially, oh man, it got a review for from Bustle. We got a review from Bustle. We did. 2015. It felt weird. Oh, it feels older. Yeah. What were you doing in 2015? Feeling vaguely positive about my world outlook. I had just moved to Chicago. Uh, I was applying to grad school and like Barack Obama was president. I was in my first job out of college. We were younger then. We were younger then. One year out of meeting each other. Yeah, one year out. Holy shit. It's been a while, dog. Yeah. Look at us. We've been doing this for two years. We've been doing this for two years. We've known each other. For four. No. We knew each other for a year and then we started doing this. Yeah. So three years. Yeah. We graduated in 17. Because we're still in the midst of 2020. But I always get mixed up. I get that. That's a hard thing to admit as a grown woman. But I get confused by the fact that we're like in the midst of the year that it mm-hmm. is. Instead yeah. of like we've completed Pleaded the it. year that it is. Yeah. It also doesn't help that every day feels like a year in... And- <laughs> 
<laughs> the world we live in now. So time is a construct. Time is a construct. I shouldn't beat myself up about it. You should stop beating yourself up about it. Well, okay. So I want to go back to the thing I was first talking about and I got so off track. Holy shit. Killing women. No, you, you were talking about this being a deficit. Yeah. Reading this book reminded me of how good books are with stories within a story. Yes. And what a great device that is. It is and a really good device. I've never seen it not work. Mm-hmm. The framing story of this book. Well, actually the tales she tells play a much smaller role and are far less prevalent than the tales that are shared in A Thousand and One. Oh yeah. Right. There's very little move over and like the only thing that Shahrazad is doing with her tales in the original is like telling the king that he's an asshole and he needs to learn how to find empathy and compassion. But the framing starts off, it's weird watching someone get better at writing a story as they go through the book because this thing really slaps after the second half. Yes. First half, the framing story isn't so great. The tales she tells mm-hmm. are riveting and it's yep. like, well, of course, like A Thousand and One Arabian Nights is something we're going to be reading, you know, have been reading for centuries, yep. will be reading for centuries yep. because it slaps. The whole time. The whole time. Um, As far as like, you know, structurally being interesting, you know, the whole like wife murdering sucks. It sucks, but it's also like strangely relatable, I think, because like the first English translation of A Thousand and One Nights was in 1726. Yeah. yeah. And it's existed for almost a thousand years outside of English. So in so many ways, I think this story is like, I don't want to say that it's like foundational, Mm -hmm. but it seems like it is for a very particular kind of way of thinking about relations between men and women and what Mm self-sacrifice means and like this. But again, this whole idea of like taming a beast and like being special. To do like a a bigger view Mm -hmm. of this structure and how I was thinking about it. When I think about A Thousand and One Arabian Nights, I think about very old books. Yep. And I think about stuff that's even older than A Thousand and One Arabian Nights, like yep. the tale of Ginji. Yep. And what remains in the stories that we tell today. And then I'm struck by a specific difference between <laughs> what has worked for centuries and what is the expectation of a romance novel. Yes. So, Tale of Ginji, like there is a central story, but you're seeing a lot of different people's lives play out. Mm-hmm. A lot of gossip, a lot of different stories mm-hmm. that seem, you know, like the connections, like there's this wider, broader world mm-hmm. than just the single experiences of this single character. Mm-hmm. The same is kind of true for A Thousand and One Arabian Nights. Mm -hmm. This single story isn't that interesting and doesn't really make sense without all these other stories interwoven into it. Informing the main story. Informing the main story. And this kind of decentralized idea of the human experience. Right. Right? Like, none of us are an island. Right. But more than that, that's what makes a really interesting story. I read Pachinko this year. Mm -hmm. And that's a book that... Or this past year. And that's a book that, you know, follow so many different threads and so many individuals and their experiences and how they inform. You know, I think about books in general that I've really loved and Mm -hmm. they've had this kind of more expansive view of of a life. Romance novels, on the other hand, tend to centralize one character, one relationship, and further, it ends at the happily ever after, right? Yeah, to the exclusion of a community. Yeah, to the exclusion of a community. Yeah, and I think that's Actually, the more romance I read, the more I find that isolation of hero and heroine to be like deeply upsetting Mm -hmm. because I think weird kinds of abuses can get normalized in the space of a very intense romantic relationship that doesn't have a community sort of like untethering the central romance from itself. So it's like if you're in 
an echo chamber and you're just yelling at each other all the time, then you're like, I love you because you're the only person here. It's like, oh, like back that down a little bit aside. Yeah, that's exactly right. So uh, the, the reason I bring this up is that reading The Wrath and the Dawn wasn't super into the book, sitting on the train, kind of plugging through it because I read whatever Isabel gives me because I want to talk about it with her and I want to share it with the listeners. And I think that all books are worthwhile in my personal life if I'm reading something for pleasure and I'm like deeply offended, you know, I toss mm-hmm. it. But whatever. I don't think. I DNF. Right. Which we've never actually done on the show, but should maybe give ourselves permission to do. To DNF. No, because then we have to start a whole other thing and then That's we've true. like had this time. Like it, we've got a schedule. We do have a schedule. Which makes reading, you know, but romance is one of the genres where like DNF is like an important tool of book reviewing, mm-hmm. uh, which is really interesting and probably deserves its own exploration on a boner. But we've talked about that forever. Yeah, we have. But anyways, not into it. And then we get into Shahrazad's first story. And I, I was just riveted. I could not wait to find out what was going to happen. Even though I know the basic story, you know, the author changes enough that mm-hmm. you're like zesty, you know? It is zesty. You're still like excited about it. And I was right there with Khalid where I was like, oh my God, like, yeah, what's going to happen? I, I know what's going to happen when the smoke starts talking. Yeah. I've seen a Disney version of it yeah. from a very young age. But like, I was still like, the smoke is talking. I know. Like, I just was immediately transported. So she's a better writer than parts of this book. I think what this book might be working under the weight of is like, YAs are constantly told that they have to be series. And this mm. is indeed a series. But what the contained stories, like not only like Aladdin and the Genie, but also the weird blue beard story, which we're going to talk about. Yeah. It tells me that this author is excellent at containment mm. and that like this idea of like a broad yes, expansion. That's exactly right. Like was maybe too much Play-Doh to play with because yeah. it's like, what the fuck do I do? So we'll go ahead and give you another spoiler. Not really a happily ever after. Right. Because it's a series. I was expecting that because I was like, it's a YA. Yep. I know it's a series. We're not going to have a happily ever after. Mm-hmm. I think in YA romance, I'm more willing to say like, and maybe this gets into our larger ongoing conversation about the HEA, but I still feel like this is a romance without the happily ever after. I do too because and, I know I'm going to have it in the second book. Yeah, like it's going to happen. Yeah. I'm going to get a small version of it here. I'm mm-hmm. going to get it in the next one. Right? Yeah. So structurally, I was expecting that. But I was also reading it structurally as a romance. And so after having said everything I said about an expansive world with greater context, I like really wasn't interested in like Tariq and Rahim and like their military stuff. I got to the point where I was just like skimming those chapters. And I was like, okay, here's what they're going to try to do. Here's who they met. Here's why that matters. Here's her dad. Here's what he's doing. Here's why it's definitely going to matter later But I think on. that speaks to like the broader thing where it's like they were thinly sketched whereas we were more interested in the fleshing out of Khalid. So you don't think it was me as a romance reader being like I know what's important here skipping ahead. No I think other than the fact that Tariq was in love with Sharzad from the time that he was 13 mm-hmm. what do we know about him right? He's a rich son of someone important. He's he a sporty. Best, he's sporty. He has a hawk and a best friend named Rahim. He's also very brave. Sure but like what are other like motivating factors <laughs> about Tariq? Yeah and I think the book does make that point that he was in love with her because she was beautiful. Right. And then and that's not really being in love with someone. 
Right. And also proximity. They were raised together. And they both had the shared grief of Shiva, which is the animating factor for Shahrazad, where her best friend is murdered by Khalid. And that's the motivating factor. Not the fact that like 75 other girls have had to die. This specific one, which is also a departure. And I don't mind that. I think having Shiva as like a ghost that animates the obstacle of the love story between Khalid and Shahrazad was actually really well done where it's like Stockholm Syndrome is so real in this book but like having Shahrazad like throw up Shiva whenever she feels too close to Khalid was really fascinating as an obstacle where it's like find your anger find your revenge find your frustration and then like use that as the barrier method to like this onslaught of attraction I want to talk about Stockholm Syndrome yeah because I recently listened not recently but I listened to an episode of Criminal by Phoebe Judge which is uh hello my name is Morgan I am a true crime nerd for my money Criminal is the best true crime podcast. When you listen to Criminal, you discover why you're interested in true crime, which is the idea of subversion and aversion to rules and like all the different forms it takes. They're not all like murders. And when it does talk about murder, it talks about it as a very real thing. Mm -hmm. If you're focusing on serial killers, you're missing the point, right? When Criminal talks about murder, it's often about insurance scam or it's about an abusive boyfriend and that promise being fulfilled. Filled. And the promise, of course, being that societally we always protect men and always give men the benefit of the doubt, yep. even when there's absolutely no reason to yep. because they have beaten a partner yep. emotionally or physically. So anyways, she talked to a couple of people involved in the Stockholm incident that got the name Stockholm Syndrome. It turns out one of the captives has actually had an on-again, off-again relationship with one of the captors for like the last like, what has it been? 40 years now? Yeah, it's been a long ass time. Yeah. So Stockholm Syndrome is very literal in this book as it is in the incident that we get the name Stockholm Syndrome from, mm-hmm. which was a group of terrorists mm-hmm. holding a theater hostage. You know, it was over an extended period of time. The theater goers ended up forming in a relationship with their captors. captors. They would order pizza. They would have meals together. They would defend them from the police. Here's a couple of things I want you to keep in mind when we think about Stockholm Syndrome, the incident. The terrorists involved were politically motivated. Also, political causes are always sympathetic to a certain degree, right? And we certainly can un- kind of sexy. Like, you believe in something, you mm-hmm. care about something so much. Also, these captors sought out building positive relationships with their captors because they actually were ill-equipped to keep them contained and they did not want to hurt anyone. Right. I think we often apply Stockholm Syndrome as a term to situations of brutality. Yes. Someone being brutalized to the point where they're afraid of escaping. And certainly there was a threat. But I think what's more important and more key when looking at this book and also looking at the inciting incident for the term Stockholm Syndrome, what's key is that no one wanted to hurt anyone else. Mm-hmm. Really. Mm-hmm. But the threat of that violence was there. Like if you the run. The threat is always there. Right. It doesn't work without the threat. Right. But it's more complicated than just force proximity. Sure. I want to think about it I think in a more complex way than just force proximity. I think that's actually super great to talk about in romance because I think romance throws around Stockholm a little bit too hard when what we're really talking about is force proximity. Yeah. And like in this case, I think it's fair to say Stockholm because the threat of Shahrazad's death 
is ever present. But what I also want to point out, Stockholm Syndrome is never accidental. Yes. In this book, it is. Yes. Khalid doesn't start off wanting her to become attached to him. Right. The terrorist in the actual titular Stockholm Syndrome did. Mm-hmm. Abusive relationships do. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. That is important. Anyways, that was my TED Talk on Stockholm Syndrome. It was good. I feel like I learned a lot. <laughs> I was just, that episode of Criminal was like, oh my god, they're doing it! They're talking to him! That's good. Yeah, so should we start with their first night together and then move forward in time, or where do you want to go? No. Great. Where do you want to start? Where do you want to move? Well, I like, I want to talk about the YA-ness of this. Sure. Because what makes something YA? When I was at YA, Mm -hmm. books didn't really have... Rape? Sex in them. Mm. What YA were you reading? Like, they had, like, sexual attraction and stuff, but I don't remember there being a sex scene in the first chapter. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that first sex scene because it's okay. not a sex scene. It's a scene of rape. Right. Well, we need to talk about rape and its multitude. Right. Because a lot of people will read it. She takes off her clothes. Sure. She knows she's going to die in the morning. She also, they've been married. She expects that this is what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no consent given other than the fact that she takes off her clothes, which I don't think is a scene of consent, especially as the rest of the book plays out. And that there is no pleasure from anyone. In fact, this book goes to a weird... Okay. Beep, beep. Okay. Because this book says that he doesn't seem to be enjoying it. I mean, he does come, but like... Beep, beep. Sure. Are you saying all pleasureless sex is rape? No, I'm not. I'm then not. Then you can't use that as a cornerstone for rape. To sure. describe something as rape. Good point. Fair beep beep. <laughs> but like there's nothing in that scene to tell me that this isn't a rape scene. Right? And so the fact that she's gone there and the fact that like her self-sacrifice, like this is a scene of sexual coercion. This is like yeah. an expected thing that both of them are performing and neither of them seem particularly like into it. Yeah, you know, I didn't read it as rape because I totally get what you're saying. It is coercive. It is a power imbalance. He's going to kill her in the morning. But also, like, he's her caliph. Yeah. Caliph. He's her caliph. Like, it is a power imbalance. They haven't even really exchanged words. Mm -hmm. But I would say they both arrived with the same expectation and like they were like this is how it works yep and so i think it's more of a social coercion Mm -hmm. rather than an actual individual coercion and if it's a social coercion then it is acting against both participants sure so it's like rape by the state yes i think that's actually super super true it's rape by the caliph not rape by khalid the caliphate right rather than the caliph Right. Yeah, I think that's right. But Which is rape- interesting because it gives them then a mutually bad experience to share. Right. And they do. And it is mutually bad. Yeah. And the book takes pains to describe the fact that it's mutually bad. Well, just bad. that they're both disappointed afterwards. Right. Well, like unfulfilled, right? But also like isolated. And mm-hmm. like... It's almost like it didn't happen at all. Right. I mean, it doesn't. The book doesn't describe it. It describes the aftermath. Right. She takes off her mantle. Then she watches him get out of bed and... You hear about him, like, rolling his shoulders. He has attractive tiger eyes. And then she begins telling her story. Mm-hmm. And it's great. It's a great story. It is a really good story. I totally get why you kept her alive for a night. Yep. Um, Gotta finish that story. Okay. She's 
trying to bide her time so that she can find an opportunity to kill him. Yep. Love it. I loved all of her murder moves. Weak she, ass murder moves. She makes weak one murder ass move. murder moves. She makes one murder move. She makes a murder move against her. Yeah, which was real. Before we get to that murder move, we need to talk about her wise cracking handmaiden, Despina. The only thing we need to know about her is that she's Greek and announces herself as a spy. Yeah, and we know she's Greek because she says she's from Thebes. And she's white. She's white. Yep. And she's curvy. Yeah. Neat. Anyway, she has a handmaiden who's a spy. This is the other thing. People describing romance as diverse whenever it has a fat chick in it. Wrong. Wrong. Also, I was having a conversation. This is off topic. Sure. This is just us Gabin. I love gals. it. I was having a conversation with a friend. And this happens to me a lot. Where people are surprised that I'm the size I am. Because I'm the same size as them. Mm. But but it looks different on me. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. <laughs> Why would you like that? No one would like that. It's not like people are like, oh, you're so thin. You know, like they're surprised that I'm as big as I am, I guess. But it's still weird. It's super weird that any of us comment on our bodies in that way. And I remember <laughs> I had a very similar but strange experience yeah. at a bachelorette party. It was in Missouri, which should tell you that like the bachelorette rules are very specific. And like the thing that you give at a bachelorette is either lingerie or lingerie or a sex toy. Yeah. Like those are your options. And your lingerie comes from Yandy. Yeah. <laughs> or, or Victoria's Secret. Victoria's Secret or Dillard's, right? Like it's just not anyone. Anyway, there was a caveat on my invite to this bachelorette where it's like... People invite their moms To bachelorettes. And like other older... And mother-in-laws. Right. Other older women in their life. And so like bachelorettes are... I hate it. I do too. I'm glad that we're having this conversation. (laughs) Anyway, so I'm invited, but there's this massive caveat wherein the bride was like, I am an unusual size where I wear... And she was so specific. She's like, I wear a four at my waist, but my top, because of the way in which my tits operate on my chest, I'm like a sometimes a double XL or like whatever. So don't buy me lingerie. But also in general, getting a lingerie shower invite where you see someone's like size on an invite and also like size is so like, like it's it's not even helpful to you in purchasing someone else a lingerie, a piece of lingerie really. But I like, I remember that experience so specifically where she was like, I'm not as large as my top makes me out to be. I want to give you my waist size just to say, don't give me lingerie. Because you don't have to buy. Yeah, it's just weird. Like, just say, please don't, no lingerie. Exactly. Like, get me some wine. <laughs> just say, please no lingerie. Yeah. The fact that she may be like, I'm actually a size four in the waist. However, the gals up top are a crowd on the balcony. Yeah. And that's always really weird. And I think it's like one of those things where it's like, boy, yeah, the fact that we call romance diverse when there's like a woman with curves in them or like somebody who... We're not even... Like curves, like I'm big. I'm shaped like a rectangle. I do not identify with curvy. And I feel like people who are saying they're curvy are really just feeding into the male gaze. Yes. Being like, like sometimes people really are. They're, you know, actually like shaped like a, a Coke bottle. You know, not everyone is. Not everyone is. In fact, most people aren't. I don't like it when people tell me that they're surprised by my size because I'm like, that means you came to it with an assumption. Do you think about what size I am? Also gross, right? (laughs) The fact that like anybody would think about another person in numbers. Yeah. Nasty. Maybe not even in numbers specifically, just in less than or more than me. That is my reaction to that. Yeah. I do think of people in I can borrow their clothes. 
Sure. Because I want to. Right. And I think about that in clothing (laughs) swaps where I'm like, ooh, who would I invite to my clothing swap? But I don't think about it when I'm hanging out with people. But I also think about it when I see someone in a dress I really like and I'm like, oh, good. (laughs) Can't wait to get my summer dresses out. So it's complicated. I think that's really right. But it's like the people who've said that to me have never offered or asked if they could. Borrow anything? Share my clothes. Yeah. It's complicated. Bodies are complicated and our relationships with them are complicated. Also the self-negation of society on women is complicated and the way in which we both feed into and rebel against it is complicated. Mm -hmm. I like the term thick because I think the term thick discovers the range of humanity that curvy does not mm-hmm. while still saying like bigger in a way that I enjoy mm-hmm. and it feels personal thick does feel personal thick feels like you're saying to someone I like it mm-hmm. and also honestly it's big yeah <laughs> and like on the same spectrum but like I would say on the negative spectrum like I was out the other night and somebody said they were just asking somebody to set them up with their friends and they're like what's your type are you a chubby chaser and I was like "Ugh, you like fuck said that out loud? Like, why would you do that? Also, why would you open with, are you a chubby chaser? It was like, it was a weird night. What's your type? Are you a chubby chaser? Yeah, I'm like, what? Like, do you enjoy people with humor? Like, why? Whatever. (laughs) The whole thing was bizarre. Anyway, Despina is the only other woman on screen in this entire book. Shiva's a ghost. Her sister No, no, Yasmin. Oh, that's right. Yasmin shows up. The other hot girl. The other hot girl. Also white. Mm Mm-hmm. Weird. Why do I say that? Because she has auburn hair. And I don't think they have box hair dye in this world. Box hair dye. They have henna, but I didn't wasn't. Oh, I bet henna could make someone's hair auburn. It does. Never mind. (laughs) But also her eyes were green. Well, no one has brown eyes except for Khalid. Khalid doesn't have brown eyes. He has amber tiger eyes. He has amber tiger eyes. Tariq has silver eyes. You know who has brown eyes? All the dead girls. <laughs> Shiva's eyes are deep wells of brown and like <laughs> the first dead wife like Ava or uh-huh. she has deep wells of ochre. Like all the dead girls have brown eyes. Everyone else who gets their eyes described. Checked, which is also a very YA thing. Yeah. Oh they love eyes. Yeah. And it was like the fact that Halid's eyes were like golden tiger and like Tariq's eyes who's the other guy that's in love with Shahara has silver eyes. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. oh boy. Mm-hmm. It's good though. Like books, you know, we laugh about that stuff, but like, it's good. It's good shorthand. Mm-hmm. You know, it reinforces an idea subconsciously. It does. Uh, I knew that, that they helps, were different. Yeah, that helps the reader along. Even though it's hard to describe like the ways in which they are specifically different, except one's contained and one's... One's murdering women and one is Yeah, not. yeah. I mean, that's also important. Let's talk about the actual murdering. Cool. So, our King does not murder them. Himself. Himself. They're murdered as a human sacrifice with a shroud and a silk rope. We discover this when our heroine is taken out the morning after telling a story. And then our hero interrupts her... Murder. Murder, her sacrifice. Mom, her murder by like breaking every bone in the executioner's body, which feels very unfucking fair. No kidding. It's like the executioner didn't decide to kill Shahrazad. Like, yeah, you did. Yeah, this was your call. Yeah, like you're externalizing, but it's still presented to us as like he defended. 
Right, and like she's blacking out, he shows up, cuts the rope that she's being choked on, and then she slaps him, and then the person <laughs> holding her pulls her arm out of her socket, and then he breaks every bone in that guy's body. But it's like, you were gonna kill her! Yeah, also she just touched like the caliph of this like nation, we're not yeah. doing that, like you don't get to touch the caliph violently. But this is because it specifically has to recreate the silk cord that Ava hung herself on, which right. is so... We'll put a disclaimer that there's spoilers and also discussion of suicide in this. And the book talks about it being a very elegant way to die. The book. Shaharazads. But she's devastated by the fact that there are all these indifferent people, even though mm-hmm. that's making a lot of assumptions of the ancillary characters. And, yeah. like, how much they know and how they feel about it. The fact that no one will meet her eye. Yeah. And there's this moment where the actual executioner says, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And then she says something like, I get it. Or, like, I forgive you as, like, yeah. absolution. Yeah. So we find out that this is a necessary evil because... Gotta save the kingdom. Gotta save the kingdom. He is not himself. He is the state. So is it him raping? Yeah. Anyways, he doesn't take ownership of his responsibility to the extent of actually carrying out the murders. While they're being murdered, he writes each individual family a letter in his little diary that he's never going to send them. And she's like, it's radically honest. But the fact that he'll never send them just means that this is a moment of access that we have to his interiority. And like, what was like... But also like, he'll never send them? He'll never send them. And, like, some of them were, like, brutally and beautifully personal. Like, one of the girls asked for a very particular kind of instrument and played that for her last hours. Yeah. And, like, he listened below the balcony and cried, and he's like, I'll never hear anything as beautiful. And I'm like, send this fucking letter. Shiva showed him bravery and forgiveness. Like, that's the kind of thing a family Family would want to hear. hear, You know? And also a family would want to know that, like, there is no context in the curse for why he can't tell people why he's doing what he's doing. No kidding. He's just keeping the secret for, like, shit and giggles. Yeah. And if anything, like, wouldn't it be more powerful if they knew it was because the queen killed herself and her right. family was devastated? And, like, made and a blood take, curse. And then everyone would take suicide and depression and more seriously? That would be great. I do want to say for a second that, like, the way in which this curse was enacted is, like, he goes to the family of his dead wife to, like, meet and apologize for what happened. Not that he was responsible, but whatever. And the dad of this dead daughter makes the curse and then stabs himself in the heart to seal the blood oath dark magic. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's tough. That's a lot. That's well, like speaking so much. Blood oath dark magic is real in this book. Yes. In more ways than just that, she herself is told she's magic. Her dad is magic and he Make- starts enacting blood magic to destroy the city in order to help to Tarek and Rahim on right. their journey. To rescue Shahrazad. Yeah. But he also becomes obsessed with the idea of becoming a caliph himself over the course of the journey. There's like all sorts of weird, cool stuff happening in here. But I think the problem with it is she's very good at writing contained stories. Yes. Which is a gift in and of itself, a very big gift. The book, though, is expansive and it's got to go into a second series. There are too many threads and they're not pulled together. I think if there was like a short interstitial about her dad's journey that was like, meanwhile, I think it would work better. I think it would make more sense. 
sense. Also, like, Despina, the wisecracking spy... Doesn't ever do any spy stuff? Doesn't do any spy stuff. And is also pregnant by the captain of the guard, and, like, that is a weird... Which doesn't seem like something a good spy would do. No, it seems like something a bad spy would do. Yeah. And it's also that thing of, like, my best friend and your best friend. Right. And also, there's this moment where, like, Shahrazad's like, you have to tell him, like, he loves you. I know it. And she's like, A, I'm not the right woman. We're not the right class, so no, I can't tell him. And B, like, this is actually none of your business. Like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm not going to tell him. Like, don't do anything. Mm. And there's a real moment where Shahrazad is like, she is the Khalifa of this kingdom. And the fact that she's telling her maid from a different nation, you need to tell the captain of the guard whose dad is the general. Yeah, exactly. It's like, no, 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 no. Very hypocritical. Not into that. Okay, I also want to talk about her almost attempt on the Khalid's life. Yes. Which she sneaks him out of the palace. So that a- they can, Aladdin and Jasmine. A- Aladdin and Jasmine, because he was like so inspired by that part of the story that we didn't get. I know. That she takes him out. She's going to give him some poison sugar that she was offered by the state while he was gone. Yep. So he is not actually the state. So this question becomes more muddled. And she saves some of the poison sugar that she she survived and she's gonna put it in his wine. She doesn't, she doesn't, she doesn't. She just doesn't. And then they have a kiss in an alley and their first kiss. Their first kiss. And then like things start to happen. That's the moment that she calls him Halid rather than Caliph. And that's how it goes. That's when they fall in love. That's- how the love begins. There's still, even though there's all this conflict, we have to bring in an oppositional woman, Mm -hmm. which feels a little over the top. That did feel over the top. I will say, like, do you want to get into sexiest part and weirdest part? I think we should. I think we should. Okay. I think we should do sexiest part. Okay. Sexiest part. Do you want to go first? No. Okay. Sexiest part for me is they've had this kiss in the alley and they've had this like state rape scene at the very, very beginning. And there's another moment where he like comes to the bedroom and he's like making out with her and he's like, I need to know that you want this. And like the introduction of consent, the introduction of like what it means to take ownership of your attraction and sexuality was so well developed in that particular scene that when Shahrazad's like, I want you to tell me something. And he's like, yeah, girl, anything. And she's like, why you kill all those girls, though? Mm -hmm. And he shuts down. Mm -hmm. And, like, everything leading up to that was really, really sexy. And then, like, the cold water bath of that moment was so well delivered about, like, how you really can destroy a sexual moment with, like, five words was such a radically well-described scene that I was like, shit, I'm so attracted to all of this. And then it like, yeah. kept coming back where he's like... Even the even the part where she destroys him is still sexy. Yeah. But it also implies her taking advantage of a moment. He was super vulnerable with her. I guess and she, she was went like, straight for the gullet. She did. I love that. I do. I'm like not even sad that I love it. She's <laughs> not a nice thing to do to someone. I guess he's not a nice guy. That's true. He is a murderer. I'm just saying, ladies, <laughs> gentlemen, humans, when someone deeply vulnerable with you, maybe don't eviscerate them. Don't use it as a t- chance to eviscerate them. Just to prove your own desirability or worth. Because at that point, that's what it was about. Yeah, it was a power move. Yeah, well, she had discovered that she was his weakness, so she had decided to use herself against him. Yep. She had to avenge Shiva. Shiva was 
was not not part of it. I know. Yeah. It was a power move. It was a power move. But we're being super critical of this book, but I think we both enjoyed reading it. Mm-hmm. It's just in hindsight that things become clearer. And I think like... So like, I would have said that was a super sexy part, but now I'm talking about it, I'm like, God, I'm very upset by it. And I think like that's actually how most of the sex sexy scenes moved Mm -hmm. where I was like actually deeply upset by how it moved but Mm -hmm. in the moment it felt deeply sexy like the clothes are sexy her all of her silks are so like diaphanous and like she's not curvy she's just regular yeah and like he's always like deeply like searingly looking at her Mm -hmm. and like they're sharing a lot of hand holding and he's always like breathing on her neck yeah and like her neck has bruises and cuts most of the book and he like insisted she kept that giant necklace on during the first yeah there's a lot of like weird neck stuff Mm -hmm. that was sexy when it was sexy but also then threatening when it was threatening Mm -hmm. and like that as a site of both pleasure and Mm -hmm. fear was an interesting titillation yeah totally totally that's exactly right I was trying to think about what it was about necks but that's it yeah it's like vulnerability jugular blah 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 it's just vulnerability yeah and like that it is like because it does feel good but, like, also it doesn't feel good when people, like, you know, pull a silk cord and choke you to death. Yeah. So. Your neck is sensitive. Imagine that. Okay. So my sexiest part. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the resolution. The happily ever after we get, which is that. The letter. They do have sex and then the letter the next day. That is so thoughtful and perfect. And then her maid comes up and, like, everyone heard about him going into the flower garden. The thing about the smell of her hair, the flower smell in her hair tortures them every day. Yeah. Like, it was just good. And then he shows up and they kiss goodbye in front of this guard. And, like, no, they link each other. That was really cute. It was nice to see them have a resolution which is incredible considering the fact that he is a murderer it's true and she thinks it's okay Mm -hmm. because it's enough for him to take responsibility via the letters and it's because of a curse so to her it's not really him doing it it's his dead father-in-law right and that like he's learned an important and like existential lesson yeah weirdest part so many Yasmin comes to mind. I think for me, it's probably Jalal and Desvina. Like, so Jalal is Halid's best friend, also his cousin, also the captain of his personal guard who's carrying on this liaison with Desvina. But, like, it's Jalal that's constantly being, like, Shahrazad loves Halid, and he's the one who's really advocating for their relationship. And it's weird that there are so many men in this story about Mm -hmm. dead girls. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's, like, one of those moments where it's, like, I feel like I was forced to identify with people or, like, forced to feel compassion where, like, this book really wanted me to think a certain thing about Jalal. But I was, like, Jalal's complicit. Jalal's doing all these bad things. Also, the fact that there was so much, like, I'm just a boy. You're just a girl. Yeah. I'm, like. I hated that. Is this Notting Hill? Also, you're a fucking king. And she's saving all of the women of her fucking kingdom. Nobody's just anything. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. okay, you're 19. Cool. But, like. Like, you're not just a boy. Fucking stop saying that shit to me. Yeah. So, like, the fact that there were no women and the fact that, like, they were both infantilized in that way and infantilizing each other, mm-hmm. those are my weirdest parts. Yeah. The infantilization, I thought, was, like, I was weirded out by it. But then I was like, why a? Like, that's how you think of yourself when you're a teen. You're probably 14 and you're like, can't wait till I'm 17 and old enough to have sex. 
I guess. Gonna read this book. I'm just a boy, you're just a girl. So one thing I want to point out that, to like weirdest part, I totally agree with everything you said. I think there's also moments in this book that were so chic novel. Yeah. The like grooming of the Khalifa, the outfits, the like this, the, the that. The like, wine, the figs, the yeah. alabaster stone. Yeah, the like servants, the displays. You know, I don't know. It, it's hard. After you spent a lot of time in that world and how cutting it really was to see like the trappings in a different context, like just lounging on colorful silk pillows all day, you know, drinking wine. Also, all of the meals were the same. Mm-hmm. Soup in the morning. Soup in the morning is fine with me. Soup for breakfast is fine with me. But it was like, can you not think of, like, it was just like always saffron-scented rice and marinated lamb and And lavash. Yeah, it was just like goat cheese and pomegranate. It was like she was always stunned by the same exact meal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which kind of reeked of either a lack of pacing or a lack of, like, research. Mm -hmm. What I do want to talk about, though, is something that kind of stunned me. And it happens when our heroine goes into Khalid's chamber for the first time. Mm-hmm. And he has matte silk bedding with like very few pillows and it's gray. Mm-hmm. And he has black obsidian floors mm-hmm. and uh, ebony cupboards. And I was like, oh shit, he's Christian gray. <laughs> I like more than that, he's Edward Cullen. Like yeah. this idea of like a brooding, standoffish, dangerous man who lives this monastic life for attrition for his like sins. Sins being sexy. I was like, oh shit. And I don't know if it's Edward Cullen at which we see like, you know, it surely is not the first time we see this kind of hero, but like the specific little like bells and whistles, the aesthetic. At least he wasn't a secret millionaire. At least he was like an upfront millionaire. Yeah. He was the caliph. But yeah, I was really struck by that. And then just being able to see that influence everywhere. And I think this is something we'll get into, which is the Rochester greater than symbol yeah. Darcy. It's the bluebeard. It's the bluebeard. Jesus, you know? Why do we want that? Are all straight women but ass men? Great question. <laughs> Great question. <laughs> but and brooding both start with B. It's true. That cannot be a coincidence. <laughs> All right. Womance or nomance? You know what? I would say it's a womance. Wow. Well, hold on. Yep, yes, yep. it is. It is. My instinct is womance because when it gets into it, it gets into it. I was able to knock it out in like three hours or the end of it in like mm-hmm. three hours, which like, you know, blew by. I found myself rooting for that couple, even yep. though I hate what happened, you know, and I don't, and you know, all the reasons I've gone through. You probably don't get why I think it's a, a womance, but it's just, you know, it fucking slaps. It's- there was always something that pulled me long even when it was bad or boring or confusing i think that this book had a very easy to follow heartbeat Mm, mm -hmm, and like the heartbeat of the thing was like wounded boy Mm -hmm. and the heartbeat of the thing was awesome competent funny girl Mm -hmm. and those two things together a really excellent Mm -hmm. romance make Mm -hmm. Was it a womance or a nomance for you? I will say, it was going to be a nomance until I got to the very end when that letter (laughs) makes a reprise. And I was like, shit. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, I'm here for it, though. I love epistolary. I know. Me too. Get out of here with those epistolaries. Oh, my God. And then it just changed. And he's like, I love you. 
I'll write it on the sky. And I was like, okay. So we burned the letter, which was like, oh, okay. I hate it whenever stuff is clearly for the reader's benefit, but. <laughs> yeah. But like, also, I love being pandered to when it's my pander. All right. So romance then. Romance. I, I do want to read the second one. Maybe I'll just wait for the webtoon to come out. <laughs> it's taken a long time. Yeah. Great. It's hard to do those illustrations. All right. With that. Loosen your stays. Whenever your principles. Mwah. Whoa, golly gee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Womance is hosted by Isabeau. That's me. And Morgan, that's me. Production is by Nick Gravelin. Our web mistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzac. And our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman. They're the best. If you'd like to follow, creep, or connect with us on our social media platforms, you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram, or email at womancemail at gmail.com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com. You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance. Womance is officially part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast. Until next week. Mwah.